they tell a story about a young man who came to apply to an Israeli yeshiva, a Sephardic guy, wanted to go to this top-notch Lithuanian Ashkenazi yeshiva in Jerusalem. And he comes to the office of the Rosh Yeshiva, and uh, the Rosh Yeshiva says, can I help you? And he tells him, I want to become a student here. And the Rosh Yeshiva takes one look at him from his head to his toe. He says, you want to be a student here? He said, yeah. He said, uh, I don't think it's going to work. He said, why? I, I really, I want to learn Torah. He says, you know, I don't have enough uh, seats in the Bed Midrash. He said, it's not a problem. I can bring a chair. He says, yeah, the problem is not the chair. The problem is there's nowhere to put that chair. He says, Rabbi, so I see the sliding door. I'll sit on that side of the sliding door with my own chair. He says, yeah, but I don't have any extra standards to give you to put your Gemara down. He says, Rabbi, I can bring my own stender and my own chair, and I'm going to sit outside the glass door. It's going to be okay. He said, yeah, but the problem is uh, that in the dormitory, I don't have enough room for you to also have a bed in there. He says, my mother lives just around the corner of the Shiva. I can sleep at my mother's house. I bring my own chair. I bring my stender. It's going to be okay. And the rabbi says, yeah, the problem is you're going to come to the shiurim. And all the shiurim are in Yiddish, and you don't, you don't speak Yiddish. He says, Rabbi, I can learn Yiddish. He says, well, you can learn Yiddish. English you don't understand. Yiddish you want to understand. Yiddish, we don't want you in our yeshiva. I think part of being part of a Sephardic community especially is wondering, how could it be that all of our talent is always running elsewhere? Elsewhere into the arms of people that don't really want them. Why are we going there? What's the story? And we look back for leadership, I can tell you that I know of at least seven or eight pulpits in the United States Looking for a Sephardic rabbit. If you want to move to the U.S., we have. A, I don't recommend taking a pulpit in the Sephardic community in general. But uh, this, uh, there are many openings, and the reason is we can't find people to fill them. There's simply no people that want to step up to the plate and take on this job offer. And so we have the opposite phenomenon, which is all kinds of wonderful Ashkenazi rabbis that have. They just say, "Oh, I can handle a Sephardic pulpit." Little do they know, uh, it's a lot more complicated than being the rabbi of their local Ashkenazi synagogue. And you look around and you wonder. What's going to be with the next generation of Jewish people? Who's going to lead Am Yisrael on the path that we don't think is the only path, but the path that we feel is the correct path for ourselves? And before I ask that question, I want to read to you a piece from Rabbi Yosef Faur, who Sina translated into English in his book, but because I gave away a copy of your book, I couldn't add the English translation. I know where to copy from. Rabbi Faur, in the introduction to his book, Rabbi Yisrael Moshe Chazan Ha'ishu Mishnatom, the man in his teaching, source 2 on page 1. He writes, My book here is one month old. And I wrote it in a time that was not day and not night. Meaning I had no time to write this book, but I wrote it anyways. These things are well known. There's almost nothing new about this book. Nonetheless, every, every Jewish author that you see says, there's nothing original in my book. There are the most original works in the world. There's nothing special about this book. That so many years later, everyone's still trying to study the book. I decided to write them down. It's the way of the Sephardic rabbis. The way that they thought about all the things that belong to the Jewish people. And all of their opinions regarding things that happened in the past, but especially things that are happening now that we need real answers to, almost nobody knows. I was sitting at a, at a dinner table and someone said, you see Sephardic philosophy. What exactly is Sephardic philosophy? You guys just have different food than we have. And that's true. If that's all you know, then that's all that there is. And that's what the Chambor is saying. There's almost nobody who really understands what exactly Chachmei Sfarad came to bring to the world. 
something terrible. חל בכל אשר נוגע למסורת התרבותית, הדתית והחינוכית של היהודים הסברדים בימינו. There's something devastating that is happening to everything that is cultural, religious, and educational in the Sephardic community. דברים שבעבר הקרוב היו ידועים לכל צרובה דרבנן, things that in the very recent past, every upstanding Torah scholar knew, אינם ידועים היום אפילו לאלה אשר בשם גדולי הדור יכונו. There are things that yesterday every rabbi who graduated from the Bede Midrash knew them, and today people that are called the Gedolei Hador, they have no idea what the things the rabbis knew 50 years ago. אנו, those of us שגדלנו על פי המסורת החינוכית העתיקה, those of us who were raised on this ancient educational tradition, שנתקיימה דור אחר דור בבתי המדרש הספרדים, which continued to exist in all generation after generation in the Sephardic houses of study, רואים את המצב החדש בדיכאון לב וחיליון עיניים. We see the current state of affairs with a broken heart. We're worried. The bridges to our past have been destroyed. All of the milestones, the markers along the road have been taken down. All of the roads that led back to our tradition have been wiped away and covered with dirt. What will happen to the young one who wants to learn about his tradition? Where will he turn? Who will show him the way? We're living in a world, we talk so proudly about a Judaism, that almost no one understands. That almost no one knows how to articulate. I gave a shield recently in Los Angeles, a place called Sephardic Temple. It's a very interesting place. I gave a shield, and after the class someone came over and said, Rabbi, all of the things that I've been feeling the last 40 years of my life, and I didn't know how to say them, you just put words to them. And I said, Baruch Hashem, thank you for telling me that. Because the whole purpose of everything that we try to do, and it's not just myself, it's Avkada, it's Sina and the Chavura, it's all of those that are involved in this type of Limut Torah, are trying to articulate, not create something new, but to articulate to the new generation, what is it that we've been working so hard to keep? It wasn't the Dafina on Shabbat or the Lachma Bajin on Friday. That was, none of those things mattered as much as the educational tradition that we've worked so hard to preserve. But it shouldn't surprise you that this is happening, and it shouldn't depress you either. Because what's going on in our generation is a sign of the imminent redemption. If you look at me in source one, the Mishnah says, Bikvot Meshicha, in the times approaching the Mashiach, Chutzpah is game. Chutzpah, you know the English word for that, will reign supreme. V'yoker y'amir ha'gefen titen piryam, v'ayayin b'yoker u'malchut te'afech l'minut. The vine shall bring forth its fruit. Wine will nevertheless be expensive. Could be gasoline also will be part of this. The monarchy, the kingdom shall turn to heresy. V'en tochachat, and there's no one to give reproof to the Jewish people. Bait v'ad yeliznut, the bet v'ad, the place where Chachamim used to study, will become disloyal to the Jewish people. The houses of study will be disloyal to Am Yisrael. The Galilee will be destroyed. And a lot of other bad things. If you look in the next part. And the wisdom of the sages will become putrid. And people will begin to hate the truly God-fearing individuals. And truth will ultimately disappear. The young generation will disrespect the face of the older generation. The elders will have to stand up, meaning they'll be forced to respect the new, younger generation. 
Ben Minavel Av, a son will disregard his father, more will disrespect him. Bat Kama Ba'ima, a daughter will stand up against her mother. Kala I don't know why this is a sign of the imminent redemption. A daughter-in-law will fight with her mother-in-law. That's literally the history of the world. It's nothing new. The enemies of a person will be the members of his own household. The face of the generation will be like the face of a dog. I know in the Western world we think dogs are cute. But in the world of Chachamim, a dog is the most hideous creature that could possibly exist. If you ever ask your Sephardic grandmother if you should get a pet puppy, you know exactly what her answer was. The father, the son has no shame in front of his father. So after painting this wonderful picture, so what is there left to rely on? Only HaKadosh Baruch is able to get us through what we're experiencing right now. And so I'm bringing you two messages. One is we're experiencing all of this. Number two, it means that the Geula is imminent. And number three, I said two, three, I can't count, I'm a rabbi. And number three, that the only way we'll get through this is by turning back to HaKadosh Baruch Rabbi Yosef Masas, in Source 3, tells us about a generation where the rabbis, every time they would speak, it was like there were people flocking to the rabbis. You should know, there was a time in New York when the Jews were coming over from Eastern Europe, there were these rabbis who would give these sermons and they had huge auditoriums full of people, not just of Jewish people. Also Christians would come to these sermons. Why? Imagine you had no entertainment at home. It's Shabbat afternoon. All the churches only open on Sunday. There's no movie theater. Movies don't exist. The opera house was very expensive. The only place you're going to get a good entertainer is in the Beit HaKnesset. The rabbi speaks for two hours, and people flock to hear the rabbi because it's like going to a movie over the weekend. You want to come to this sermon? And then on Sunday you go to the church, and I don't know where you go on Monday, but there's entertainment. It's free entertainment. There was a generation that when rabbis spoke, they had full packed houses and auditoriums. He said they spoke so much, even when they spoke about messianic matters, meaning things that have no relevance to anybody's life, there still was an audience to listen. Unfortunately though, that's not exactly the case anymore. When rabbis speak, the rooms are not filled to capacity. And he's crying over this fact that the wisdoms of the scribes will putrefy. He didn't just experience it among the people, he experienced it among the rabbis that he visited as well. Rabbi Yosef Masas was a rabbi born in Morocco. He finds himself in Algeria, in Tlemcen, being a rabbi. At a certain point in time, he started reanalyzing whether the Kabbalistic traditions he was involved in were, were really things that he should be doing or not be doing. One of the things that bothered him was a formula that many people say in the morning, in the unity of Hashem's name, I will unite the Yudke and the Vavke and the Yichud Hashem's name. He wanted to understand, I'm saying something, I feel like a parrot, I don't know what I'm saying. What does it mean? So he decided, listen, no rabbi is going to answer me, I have to find a Kabbalist. And so he set out to go look for a Kabbalist in Morocco. If there's anybody here who's Moroccan, I'm sorry in advance, I'm Moroccan also, but what can you do? Hufizmanazai says, nowadays, he said, clearly the Chokhmata Kabbalah has disappeared from the cities of North Africa. And the only Kabbalah that is left is the Kabbalah of people with very wild imaginations. It is overflowing with imaginations. When you say Kabbalah, it means flipping around letters, upside down, forwards, backwards. You familiar what I'm talking about? Almost you go to someone's Shabbat table, they tell you about Torah, it's going to sound like this. The Jewish people in Egypt worshipped the golden calf. It was the worst thing they did. But if you take the letters of gold and the letters of calf and you hold them up to the mirror and then you stand it upside down, really it was a silver horse they were worshipping, not a golden calf. And a horse is like the horse of Mashiach is coming on that. 
says Rabbi Yosef Masad, that's all that happened. When I hear Kabbalah, that's what I'm hearing. Gimatriot v'chilufei otiyot. V'sodot me'ulafim b'divrei havaya sh'er badu melibam b'rekeh ha'moach. He said, instead of the Kabbalah that I read about in books, I've met Kabbalists who are nothing aside from people with empty brains and very large imaginations. He said, in order for these new Kabbalists to continue their teachings, they've adopted earlier Kabbalistic words that were authentic, and they mumble them like parrots, so you think that they're the Kabbalists of yesterday. They talk about dreams and all kinds of other things, says Rabbi Yosef Masas. I stopped saying the because I couldn't find one person in this whole country who gave me an answer for why it is that I'm saying what I'm saying. What's Rabbi Yosef Masas telling me? He said, there used to be Mekubalim. And there used to be Mekubalim Nechonim. He said, but today the people that are filling in their shoes, they don't even know what they're talking about. So I went to ask them a question because they're supposed to be the experts in the things that I'm doing. And I went to the experts and all I found was emptiness and nothingness. But it's not done. He says it used to be that in the city of Miknas, where he came from, it was a city full of Chachamim and Sofrim. He said, but now? He said, you can't even find anybody that learns Torah. I said, I'm the only guy left over here that knows how to learn Torah. And you're dealing with a new world. A new world in which Sephardic communities that yesterday were full of Torah, were overflowing with knowledge and wisdom, all of a sudden, they became a desolate wasteland. Places where nobody was studying Torah. It sounds harsh. I'll explain to you just a moment exactly what happened. Rabbi Yosef Masas in source 6 and 7. Some say Mashash, some say Masas. It depends where you come from and how you read his name. I don't know What? Oh, yeah, very good. Exactly. Silvio Sema says that ever since the French came to Morocco, the world has changed. He said, whoever says the world changed for the better is right. The French brought about things to North Africa that they never had before. He said, whoever said that the French came and changed the world for the worse is also right. Because the French came to Morocco and brought things there that never happened before. Silvio Sema says, both opinions are right. There's good things that happen and bad things that happen. And one of the bad things that happened, he details here at length, is that the young generation finally realized you could live a good life. You could wear nice clothing. You could travel to nice places. You could build yourself nice houses. You could do all kinds of things they never thought about doing before. And the desire to fit in, the desire to be wealthy, the desire to run after all kinds of things they learned about right now, changed the world, not for the better, but for the worse. There was a young generation that said, why should I send the Bidakinesim and pray all day and learn Torah? I want to go be a businessman. I want to go travel across the world. I want to be a... T- whatever, whatever imagination the French created, has to change our world. So the, only body, the only people who are left were a handful of people left learning Torah. There's a famous Chacham. I mentioned him last night. His name is Professor Tzvi Zohar. Professor Tzvi Zohar is ethnically not Sephardic. But he's probably the last of the real Sephardic Chachamim left in the world right now. If I had to tell you, that single-handedly he has maintained and restored Sephardic traditions to the world. If it wasn't for him, there are so many things we wouldn't know about ourselves. Professor Tzvi Zohar, in the introduction to his book, Rabbinic Creativity in the Modern Middle East, 
says, how did it happen that Sephardic communities of yesterday that were full of Chachamim ended up in a world which was the exact opposite of that? Let's read together on page 2 on the left. Study of Torah is a core cultural religious ideal in Jewish tradition. There is no Jewish community. Ashkenazim, Sephardim, Temanim, Chatzidim, wherever you go. Jewish people learn Torah. Look at the walls of this room. It's covered in books. You go to other places, it's covered in statues and idols, not Bede Knesset, other religions. You come to Bede Knesset, it's full of books. Jewish people have always studied Torah, no matter where they went. However, this tradition disapproved of individuals who sought Torah knowledge as a vehicle for social status and economic success. Sometimes people want to be a rabbi for the wrong reasons. Economic success, I don't know if we ever discovered in the rabbinate yet. But you come into a room, people stand up for you, you go to a wedding, they kiss your hand, all kinds of, you know, kavod medume, you get all kinds of uh, false flattery that you get in different places. Sometimes people go into the rabbinate for the wrong reasons. Says uh, Professor Tzvi Zohar, the traditions that viewed learning of Torah as important always disapproved of people who used the Torah for the wrong reasons. In large cities, a tamichacham could be a head of a bedin, he could be the head of a kolev, he could lead Jewish organizations that covered the whole country. And in smaller cities, on page 3, eh, he could be a sofer, he could be a shochet, he could be a mohel, he could have a little bit of knesset, a side job, but there always were jobs in the rabbinate. On page 3, communities throughout the Middle East had chosen chief rabbis for themselves for hundreds of years. However, in 1835, the Ottoman Empire decided to accord official recognition and status to chief rabbi in Istanbul. There's a famous professor, his name is um, Professor Yaron Harel. He has a book written on the corruption of the chief rabbinate once the non-Jewish authorities started appointing chief rabbis. All of a sudden you had Tamilei Khamim, and you had chief rabbis that were appointed not by the Tamilei Khamim, they were appointed by some Muslim uh, cleric in some place, and that led to problems. Many years of intensive and in-depth Torah study are required in order to reach a high level of Torah scholarship. But since during his years of study he would also need to make a living, the opportunities of a young man to devote himself to Torah study were affected by the economic situation of his family and his community. And therefore, during the time period of 1850 to 1950, about 100 years, not only the objective economic situation affected the channeling of the necessary means of funding for Torah, cultural factors also intervened. So for instance, many wealthy parents who in the past wanted their children to be Talmudic Chachamim. Why? Jewish parents always wanted their kids to be successful. Don't be at the bottom of the barrel. Get up, do something. And I don't know if I can tell the joke in the UK, but I'll tell you anyways. They say, of course we killed Yeshu. Uh, his parents wanted him to be a doctor, or a lawyer, an accountant, and he chose to be a carpenter, so they killed him. That's how it works in a Jewish family. And in Jewish families, the parents always push their kids. Do more, accomplish more, study more, be greater. And so the greatest position you can have in the Middle East of 100 years ago was to be a Tamil Chacham. You could be the chief rabbi, you could be the chief rabbi of a city, you can have your own Bera Knesset, you could be a Dayan, you could be all kinds of things, and that was such a source of pride for parents. But then there turned a generation of, why would you be a rabbi? What kind of job is that for a good Jewish boy? Now you could be a doctor. Now you could be a lawyer. Now you could be a traveling salesman. There's all kinds of things Jews can do today that are much higher in the food chain than being a rabbi. And because of that, parents stopped funding their children to become Talmudic Chamim, and instead they pushed them into the arms of other, and the last time I was here, no one should accuse me, last time I was here I spoke about the importance of having a profession and studying secular studies, so nobody should think here that I view every person should go to the rabbinate and sit in kolo, not the point. The point is though, that within a number of years, says Professor Tzvi Zohar on page 4, that even though the populations of Jews grew in countries like Iraq and Syria and Egypt, the number of rabbis continued shrinking as much as the population kept growing. And so for example, the famous Yishivan Baghdad, had 60 students in 1848. 
30 students in 1863, and in 1879 had only 20 students left in the yeshiva. In Aleppo, Aleppo is known as the capital of Limut Torah in the Middle East. Aleppo went from being the center of Torah study. In 1933, there was only one yeshiva left with about 20 students studying Torah in the entire city of Aleppo. Rabbi Irfan Aaron ben Shimon tells us in Egypt it was the same thing. And here, Professor Zvi Zohar concludes, I don't remember his number, that at the end of the era, there were maybe, maybe, I don't remember the number offhand, a thousand Talmidei Chamin that were left in all of the Sephardic countries at the turn of the century. How did it happen? It happened because it wasn't the most lucrative position anymore. Parents weren't so thrilled their kids would be rabbis. The children were looking for other things to do. And what happened to the Torah? The Torah diminished. It fell apart. A few people were leading a lot of people. And the really good scholars, especially once we came to places like Israel, or the United Kingdom, or the United States, we decided, listen, where, if you would ask me now, you have a son, where would you send him to Sephardic Yeshiva in the United States? You know that I know of no such place? I know of no Sephardic Yeshiva in the United States? even the one or two Sephardic Yeshivas we have in the United States, uh, Panovich and Brisk are more Sephardic than they are. And so where am I left to send my children? Nowhere. So where do you send your children? And then the cycle starts all over again. Even if we do have Tamil Echamim, where were they raised? Where in Aigod Yeshiva? Where did we grow? And this cycle continues and continues and continues. And what's left is a tradition that literally becomes erased. Echachamim tell us in Masechet Avot. I didn't come to depress you today. Rabbi Yushab and Perachia says, Who is Rabbi Yushab and Perachia? Remember I mentioned the guy that we killed because he wanted to be a carpenter? Rabbi Yushab and Perachia was the rabbi of Yeshua Nutri. Rabbi Yushab and Perachia taught us, Asel Kharav, make for yourself a rabbi. Uknelech Chaver. And acquire for yourself a friend. What does it mean, Knelech Chaver? Who speaks Hebrew? Tiknelech Chaver, what does it mean? Buy yourself a friend. Meaning, if you can't have a friend, hire one. It's so important to have friends. Even if you have to pay somebody to be your friend, you should pay someone to be your friend. Don't be alone. And judge every human being favorably. We talk about Asana Chagam. We have to have rabbis. But we're telling you now, the last 20 minutes, we don't have rabbis. So how do you make yourself a rabbi? What's the purpose of having a rabbi? Many people think that having a rabbi, I mentioned last night, is so you can outsource your brain. You don't want to learn Torah. You don't want to know Hichot Shabbat. You don't want to learn about Hichot Kashrut. So what do you do? You don't have patience to attend Dayan Kadaz's uh, eight-part series on Hichot Shabbat and the Chavua. Why? Because who cares? Hichot Shabbat, if I have a question, I'm going to call Rabbi Nasimi. and say, Rabbi, what do I do on Shabbat? What if you have to call him on Shabbat? Uh-huh. That's why it says, Shabbat is complicated because on Shabbat you can't Google anything. Shabbat, you're stuck. You don't know what to do. It's the one thing you actually have to have a book about in your house. Because if you can't find the Rabbi and you can't go online, so what are you going to do? I have to look in a book. But aside from that, people don't learn Torah anymore. Why? They were very observant of this rule of making for yourself a rabbi. I know nothing about my Judaism. I outsource my brain to my rabbi. And then you assume your rabbi is a good guy. So here you're lucky. But there are a lot of people who outsource their brain to another rabbi. And you don't know the kind of things that happen there. What is the purpose of having a rabbi, says the Rambam? In source 10 on page 4. Even if he's not worthy of being your rabbi, make him your rabbi. Why on earth would I make someone my rabbi if he's not worthy of being my rabbi? It depends on the role of a rabbi. 
You need a rabbi in order to argue with. Sounds very Jewish. You need a rabbi not to fight with, like to make his life miserable. Other kilo do that very well. You don't have to do it here. They're fighting with the rabbis. It means you have to have someone to argue. You're in the middle of learning something. When I call my rabbi to ask a halachic question, I say, Halach, I'm, I did, in this situation, what do I do? He'll never answer me. He says, tell me what you think you should do. What are all the sources you've studied until now? I tell him, I read the Gemara this way, I understood the Rishonim like that, the Chagonim say this, and I'm having a hard time differentiating between this Chagon and that. What should I do? Ah, now I can argue with you. So we have a conversation, and then he never gives me an answer. Do whatever you think is right. What's the purpose then of calling the rabbi? It's not to get an answer. The purpose of having a rabbi is to call someone to be able to have an intelligent conversation with them about the topic that you need more clarity on. So that means that in order to have a rabbi, you have to be very learned. That's the whole purpose of having a rabbi. The Kapach writes in source 11 that literally the Arabic means that a person has to you have to know how to exchange opinions. When I look at a Jewish community, and I look at the rabbinate of the Jewish community, I know that the rabbinate of the Jewish community reflects the Jewish community itself. The Jewish community gets the rabbis they deserve. And I mean that with all the weight that I mean it. And when we're not learned, so what do you expect from our rabbis? You know, today, you know how easy it is to become a rabbi, by the way? I guess you could do it online. You don't have to go anywhere anymore. It's a new world. Yeah, but how long do you think a, a rabbi studies to be a rabbi? That's a good, that's a good program, six months. Six months, eight months, ten months, twelve months. You have a, like a hard, serious rabbi, eighteen months. What does he learn? How to salt a cow? I don't know any rabbis who study Chot Mikvah. I wish. At least it would be useful for something. How to salt a cow, how to not mix meat and milk, a few other things. Okay, maybe they have an extra course. Another three months, Yechot Mikvot. At the end of the day, why do we have such rabbis? Because what do we know? And all they have to know is they have to know a little bit more than us. That's how you become a rabbi. But if we knew a lot of Torah, if we learned Torah, you know what kind of chachami we would have? I live in a generation that I'm embarrassed that people think I'm a rabbi. You know why? Because I learned by real rabbis. And they say, oh, rabbi... I, love, I know who I am, I know what I am I know what real rabbis actually look like but we live in a generation that, it's an interesting world Rabbi Yosef Kapach is telling you the Rambam's understanding of Aselech Arav your rabbi is only going to be as good as you are so when I look at this Sephardic world that is falling apart and people are complaining oh, the rabbis are not doing enough and the rabbis that we have they're influenced by Ashkenazi teaching all, all the complaints, I hear them all I live those complaints what are you doing about it? What are the kihilos doing about it? <laughs> they're very good at changing The same one that fight with the rabbis, they're very good at changing the rabbis. You know, there's a Chinese proverb. It says, beware of the devil who replaces him. You never know. You think this guy's bad? Wait till you replace him. He's even worse. We need a world in which people learn Torah for themselves. Rabbeinu Avraham, the son of the Rambam in source 12, he says, what does the pasuk mean? that all of you should be holy says Rabbeinu Abraham ben Rabbam there are some religions in which the holy man is the individual the imam, the priest, the bishop whatever he is, he is the holy man and what about the rest of the people and the other people 
They're busy doing all the sins in the world. They're evil people. But as long as they come on Sunday, Hail Mary, it all works out. I remember as a kid watching The Godfather. Probably shouldn't have watched it as a kid, but anyway. You see these mafiosos. They're in the middle of murdering people, throwing their bodies in the Hudson River. And then they come to church. They give a nice donation. Hail Mary, Shalom, everything is great. And you look in your head, how does that work? How does that work that you could kill people, but today it works the same way in the Jewish community? You kill people, you throw their body in a different river, and then you come to Bera Knesset, you write ten times chai to the Bera Knesset, and it's good. How does that work? It works because we've adopted a culture in which only holy people have to be holy people. Only the rabbis have to be educated people. The rest of us, we can do whatever we want. Says Rabbeinu Avraham ben Rabbam, that's the meaning of the pasuk, that all of you must be holy. Meaning, all of you must be tamilich chamin. You don't have the ability, you don't have the luxury to say, my rabbis will lead us and we'll just be blind followers. It doesn't work that way. You have to be an individual. And then, then, Hashem will bless you with the type of rabbis that we need to lead us. The Rambam actually codifies this in the Halakha in Source 13. Every Jewish person is obligated to study Torah. Whether you're wealthy, whether you're poor, whether you're healthy, whether you're not. He mentions in the top of page 5, that the great sages all had professions. They all worked. Working was not an excuse to not learn Torah. Simply, their limu Torah was the main thing they did with their life, and working was there to support their career of learning Torah. So until when? How much Torah do I have to study already? Says the Rambam, Adiyomoto, till the day you die. There's never going to be enough Torah that you learned. A person has an obligation, according to Halakha, to be a Torah scholar. It's an unusual thing that things that are already written down in books we still call rabbis to ask questions about. Rabbi, how do I do this? Did you read Shulchan Aruch? No. Someone came to me recently. They were complaining they don't like the kashrut of my house. They don't like what I do in my house. I said, okay, well, we're Orthodox Jews. Forever we've been doing that. They tell me, my dear friend, do you know where in Shulchan Aruch the laws of kashrut are found? I said, I'm not asking you about chapter or verse. There are four volumes of Shulchan Aruch. Do you know which of the four volumes of Shulchan Aruch are found? Uh, no. If I would open up the laws of Shulchan Aruch for you, would you be able to read them and translate them? No. So you tell me you've been Shomer Kashrut for 40 years. How can you be Shomer something you don't even know where it's found in the Shulchan Aruch? You think you keep Kashrut. You have no idea what Kashrut is. You think you keep Shabbat. When's the last time you learned Hichot Shabbat? Uh, your rabbi learned Hichot Shabbat for you and then told you like a parrot what you should do? I have a parrot at home. He talks. But he doesn't know anything he's saying. He just mimics things that he hears in the house. That doesn't make him an intelligent parrot. It just makes him a parrot that imitates words. In order for a person to be a Jewish person, I brought you some stories here that I'm going to skip today. I encourage you if you can read these on your own. Two beautiful stories about a woman in North Africa who became Talmidat Chachamot and chose not to get married and not to have children but instead to dedicate their lives to the study of Torah. Then initially the Chachamim were upset. What are you doing learning Torah all day? What are you doing? Get married, have a family, that's what you're supposed to do. And ultimately the Chachamim stood behind these women and supported them. Because we also need women who are Tamidot Chachamot. When I speak, you have to learn Torah? I mean, everybody has to learn Torah. I met a rabbi from Syria. I was at a bar mitzvah. He said, you know who taught me my parasha from my bar mitzvah? He said, my grandmother. In where I come from, in the city that I come from, the grandmothers taught the grandsons how to read the Torah. Why would she not know how to read the Tanakh with Tam Amika, with all the proper cancellation? She taught us. She didn't read in the Bede Knesset, but we read for her in the Bede Knesset. 
There used to be a world like that. You live in a very special place. I'm sure that you know Rabbanit Flores Sassoon. You live in a place where you had, perhaps in the last 500 years, the greatest Talmidat Chachamim in the world. Somebody who even managed to make Chachamim Israel of all the denominations respect her limut Torah. When I say that everyone has to become a Torah scholar, I don't just mean the men, I don't mean the yeshivas, I mean everybody. Everybody. In the days of Chizkiyahu HaMelech, King Chizkiyahu, our rabbis tell us you could find a little child in the street and you could say, hey, the food here, is it kasher or not kasher? That, is it allowed to do on Shabbat? And every child knew the answer to that question. Because there was a generation where everybody knew Torah. I want to end off with a piece that I won't read in its entirety. Of a chacham named Rabbi Shimon Agassi. We have some Iraqis in this community? Yeah. Are you familiar with Rabbi Shimon Agassi? Have you heard his name before? Yeah. He was a colleague in the generation of the Ben where Iraq was really being turned over by Europe. Everybody wanted to be European. There was a certain mentality that set in. Schools were opening up, like the Alliance. All kinds of things were happening. New spirits were coming through Baghdad. Rabbi Shimon Agassi is a very unique Chacham. Because he did not take a salary from the community. He was an independent Tamil who worked his own parnasah. He had his own job. He paid his own salary. And because of that, he records history a little differently than the other Chachamim who were on the payroll of the Baghdadi Jewish community. He also made a few enemies because he didn't care. You couldn't fire him. And he could say whatever he wanted to say. Right or wrong, you agree, you don't agree. He had the freedom of speech before freedom of speech was given to anybody. And some of the more um, spicy things you ever want to read about Iraqi Jewry, you can find in the writings of Bishamon Agassi. It's unfiltered. All of this piece, I can't tell you I agree with. But Bishamon Agassi is telling us about the new spirit that had come to Baghdad at the time where people once upon a time used to be Chachamim. He says, Shalomu HaMelech says, Lo yadati nafshi. I didn't know what was going on with me. Page 7, source 17. I see things that are happening in my generation and I don't know what to say. He talks about young men. I could read you some of his and only so far the rabbis write so sarcastically. I saw the sons of our nation. Lavush, Lavush Nochri. He's wearing nice European clothing. It's a fashion statement that he was making. He curls his hair. He makes his eyes so pretty. He polishes his shoes every morning before he leaves his house. He has all kinds of non-Jewish books under his arms. He goes in the morning early to his school. The whole day is chirping like a little bird in French. I mean, no offense to the French, but clearly Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Shimon Agassi was not so excited that the Jews were starting to speak French. He doesn't even know how to pronounce Hebrew properly anymore. When he comes home in the afternoon from school, and he sees that his mom still didn't make lunch for him yet, he kicks his fat mother, the cow, who didn't feed him well. So what does the mother do? She screams 
unjustly at the home help, the cleaning help that she has. Why didn't you make lunch for my son? Viftach Adonai Piaton. And uh, borrowed from Bilam. The mouth of the donkey, Hashem opened it up. She starts complaining why she didn't give this raven his food. Finally, they bring him his food. And he comes and sits on the table. He starts eating like a donkey. No washing his hands, no berachot before his food. And he eats so much food until his belly is popping out of his clothing. He gets up from his table without saying Bekat Amazon afterwards. And then he doesn't have time to just go home and rest and take a siesta, you know, afternoon, you relax in your house. He has to go to the streets and shopping and he walks around like a person who has no rest, like a bear that walks with no kippah. And he reviews over and over that which he learned in his school. So he knows it by heart. And what happens in the afternoon happens at night also. He has no Torah knowledge. He has no proper manners. No good character traits. He's a wild animal, not a human being. He's become so westernized that he has no culture. Forget religion, but also no culture. What's the reason for all this? He said, because the Sephardic community was overtaken by this desire to become Western. We need to be Westerners. We'll do whatever it takes to fit into the West. I'll bring my own shtender. I'll bring my own chair. I'll even learn how to speak Yiddish. Umidazo said, in this character trait, Asher mashcha beresen nechayehem nintontam adarech cheglon aze yoshev ala agala vochez resen asusim biyado latot amerkavayal kol asher yachpoz. You ever seen a chariot and a horse rider standing on top with his reins and he's directing the horse wherever to go? Ken hainu anachnu amerkava. He said, we found ourselves very quickly the people of the East, we became the chariot. And the people of Europe, They're the horse rider pulling our reins to tell us, go right, go left. This is okay, that's not okay, this is appropriate, that's not appropriate. And he says, we do everything they tell us. And that's what Shalom HaMelech means when he says, Lo yadati, nafshi, I did not understand my soul. I have no idea. Lama nafshi samati how did I become the chariot for this aristocratic nation of the West? How did I become the horse for the people of Europe? Shalom Amelach said, I don't know. He said, we are considered Easterners. Why do we have to become French? By the way, substitute French with whatever other culture took over our Jewish culture. We used to be very proud of who we were. We were proud of the way our children were educated. We were proud about the way that our families looked. We were proud of the way that we ate our food. We were proud of all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, overnight, being Western was the most amazing thing you could be. And what happened to us? We became the horses. Everybody told us, go right, we went right. Go left, go left. Dress like this, we'll dress like that. Pray like this, we'll pray like that. Not just by the non-Jews. By the Jews also. We were left, in Hebrew they say, we were left becoming the horses that everybody else is telling what to do.
Rabbi Shimon Agassi turns to this community on page 8. He says, all of you are waiting for the rabbis to do something. All of you are waiting for the dayanim to get up and change this culture. All of you are waiting for the chachamim to get up. All of these rabbis, even if they were decent people, which he didn't have such nice words to say about them. He says, even if you're right about how great they are. Says, They're so busy. They're busy with the community. They're busy with the sisterhood committee meeting. They're busy with everything that rabbis are busy with. They don't have time to be changing the Jewish culture. He says, well, who can do it? Only you can do it. Only you can get up and make that difference. And he ends off with this community on the last page, on page 9, apologizing to them. And saying, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that I've spoken so harshly. I'm making these words also. I'm sorry that I've spoken harshly. So I only spoke this harshly because it matters to me. Because it's something that I'm passionate about. And I feel that if we don't do it, nobody will. And I look at the Jewish community. And you're lucky. You're one of the few Jewish communities led by real Chachamim. I mean that genuinely. There's not a lot of you left in the world. You should travel with me to other kilos. I'll show you some things. I'll tell a story about a guy. He went to, to a place. He got stuck in the city for Shabbat. I flew here Erev Shabbat. I was afraid I was going to get stuck on the way here. So I took a direct flight, meaning either I'm going to be stuck at home or I'm going to be stuck in London. But I wasn't going to be stuck in Oklahoma airport. I don't know where I would be. I would be stuck somewhere where I knew people. This guy got stuck in a place where he didn't know people. And then he comes to the Bera Knesset Erev Shabbat with a suitcase. Is anybody that can host me? And I say, of course, please, come to my house. Well, he takes him to his house, sets up a room for him, he gives him a hot towel, go take a shower, makes him a cup of tea. Hey, Bakol Nikol, takes care of him. Friday night, brings him to his house, eats food, sings Shabbat song, Shabbat morning, walks him to the bed, Knesset, everything. Mosei Shabbat, they finish Havdalah, Baruch HaMavdim, he brings the guy an itemized receipt for his stay with him for Shabbat. The hot towel, that's five pounds. Uh, giving you an escort to the Bera Knesset, that's ten pounds. Dinner and lunch in Seudash Lishit, each one of those, 30 pounds. Give him a whole bill, itemized bill, how much he owes him. The guy is astonished. He looks, you're charging me for your haknasat al-khim? He said, of course, what do you think? This is free. I lost money because of you. So I would have gone to some, I would have gone to someone else's house. Why would I come to your house? He says, you came to my house, you have to, my rules, you have to pay me money. He says, really, it's not, it's not nice what you're doing. He says, you know what, let's do this. We'll wait till Shacharit on Sunday morning. We'll come to the Bera Knesset. The rabbi is also Dayan. We'll go talk to the rabbi. He'll do a Din Torah for us and he'll arbitrate between us. They come to the Bera Knesset. This guest is rabbi. I came out of town. I had nowhere to stay. Nowhere to sleep. One of the members of your kila said, please come to my house. Stay with me. And he invited me and he hosted me. Then Motzei Shabbat, he gives me a bill. Wants me to pay him money. This is the kind of people you raise in your kila. He says, I'm sorry, but this is a halachic question. I have to go look in my books. Come back to me in an hour. I'm going to look in Shulchan Aruch. He sends him away. The guy comes back after an hour. The rabbi has 20 volumes of books open on his table. And he looks up and he says, what can I tell you? Your host is right. He didn't make any condition with you this is free. You have to pay him all the money that you owe him. And the rabbi says, the rabbi says. He starts writing out a check. He goes out of the rabbi's office. He hands a check to his host. And his host says, no, I don't want the check. You don't want the check. He says, I don't want the check. He says, why don't you want the check? Says, I don't want your money. He says, so why did you drag me here to the rabbi? He said, I want you to see what a terrible rabbi we have in this community. I hear the complaints all the time. My sister-in-law, she should live and be well, has on her refrigerator a magnet and says those who say it cannot be done should get out of the way of those who are actually doing it. <laughs> and for me, this is a motto in which we should live our life. There's so much that we can complain about. There's so much we can say. There's not enough Torah. There's not enough moderation. Jewish fundamentalism, radical. I got all the words. I know the buzzwords. You can do all of that. 
But it's easy to sit in your chair. Today we have a word for those people. They're called trolls. They used to have a word. Now you have a word. They sit all day on their keyboard and they fight wars. But they said, don't do anything. They just complain. And then there are a few people. They do an imperfect job, but at least they're doing something. And so you need to do two things. One, to support banana kosherot. To say the chachamim that we know, you have two chachamim here, that are doing the job. Benemanut. To say, I'm standing behind you no matter what happens here, no matter what's going to be said, no matter what's going to be done, we have your back. Don't be afraid. Number one, restore dignity to the rabbinate, to those who uphold the truth of the rabbinate. And number two, give your rabbis the gift of being an educated Jewish people. When one of the Chachamim come here to speak, they should be speaking to a crowd that has already learned all of Tanakh, that has already reviewed the six Sidarim of the Mishnah, that has already finished the whole Talmud. A lot of the Talmud is nothing relevant to you. Half the Talmud. All the Agadot Chazal. The sections that are relevant to Halakha. People that finish the Rambam's Mishneh Torah. How long will it take you to finish the Rambam's Mishneh Torah? There are some Hasidic groups that don't even follow the Rambam's Mishneh Torah. They finish it every year. So those of us who follow the Rambam's Mishneh Torah, at least we should study it once in our life. If they do it every year, at least we should do it once in our life. How long will it take you? A year. Three chapters a day, you'll be done. You're done next. Shulchan Aruch. Maran wrote his Shulchan Aruch. I know now it's a lot of books. Maran wrote it in 30 sections, so every day you can learn a section and finish it every month. For who? He said for children and schoolboys. That's what we wrote Shulchan for. Today, we've made Shulchan so complicated that forget children and schoolboys. If you wanted to do Shulchan once every three years, you would never be able to finish it. We made it, everything Maran made uncomplicated, we made complicated. It's bad enough what Maran made complicated. Now we made even the uncomplicated parts complicated. That's how Jews work. He wrote a book, so we have no more commentaries. You open up the Shulchan there's now a thousand new commentaries it's, it's a cycle. But at the very least, to learn that. And then when a rabbi comes to Knesset and you ask a question about Hilchot Shabbat, you're not asking like a, like a parrot in my cage at home. You're asking a question in Hilchot Shabbat, in Kashrut, in relationships. Because you're a Tamich Chacham, and you don't know what it's like to walk down the street as a Tamich Chacham. You don't know what it's like to sit in your chair and say, I understand my tradition. I know what's going on here. And then I have nothing to complain about. Because my children don't have good rabbis to learn from? Great! I'm the rabbi they're going to learn from. My, my friend, I have nowhere to go. I don't have any friends that think like me. So make friends that think like you. It's all in your hands. To sit and to complain is easy. When I came here, the title of the shoe was Take Back the Reign. I'm not asking you to overthrow the rabbinate. I'm asking you to find, identify the members of the rabbinate that are doing things right. And stand behind them. And when you're done standing behind them, Asad HaKarav. Make them your rabbi. How do you make them your rabbi? Come stand right next to them. Learn Torah just like them. Pray just like them. Be educated just like them. And it's not a matter of 50 years, 100 years, 200 years. Literally overnight, you and I and all of us can change Judaism and the face of Judaism entirely. I believe in that. That's why I'm here today. And I believe that if anybody has a chance between this Tehillah between the Chavua that Sina and Rabbi Dweck and Avi Garson are putting together, between all of you who are involved in the regular shiurim that happen in the city, every single one of you is a candidate to stand up and change the face of Judaism. So stop complaining and do something. And when the birds around us chirp, maybe not in French anymore, but in whatever language they chirp, say, you're a bird, I'll put you in a cage. But for me, I will unleash the spirit of the Jewish people. For me, I'm not bringing a shtender to sit outside, I'm not bringing a chair in a place that I don't belong, I'm going to create the place that I do belong. And I'm going to open the doors wide so that all of Israel, call Amecha Bet Israel, are welcome inside. 
then I'm telling you, it's not a matter of a hundred years. It's a matter of from today until tomorrow, all the complaints that we have will disappear. And not just chachmat chachamim tisrach, but we'll see a generation where the world will be filled with the knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, from like the water fills the ocean, like the sands fill the sea, the world will be filled with a true knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Who is going to make that choice? Only us. And if we don't do it now, when we possibly do it? I look forward not to seeing you again. at I look forward that if we take this and harness this and change our lives, that already by the time Pesach comes around, you and I will be standing on the roof of the Bet Mikdash together this Pesach to offer our Koban on Erev Chag Pesach. Thank you so much for having me here. It's cool, Ms. Vod. Thank you again to the Rabbanit.